Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. All right, so uh, Robbie right now is on a um, plane to Spain. Um, he's the only leave, leave leave it to Robbie to fly to Spain for several days to film a documentary and not get some form of a hunt in while he's over there. But he just informed me yesterday that he's not pulling it off. Uh, Lane, don't you think that if you got sent, if you went to Spain for work, that you would at least find a way to chase a roe deer or something? Uh, dude, I would find something to hunt over there. That's what I do about every single place I go. So yeah, yeah, I don't understand. Uh, I don't understand his thinking or his mindset there. Um, but he's going to go over there. Some really cool stories and hunting happening over there. A lot of uh, a lot of habitat and creatures over there that just wouldn't be around anymore. Um, without the organized efforts of some of the hunters over there and Robbie going to capture, capture some of those stories for a few days over there. So it's uh, just me in Alaska. Um, and our guest today is Lane Walter. Walt, no S at the end, right? No S. Lane Walter. Um, Lane, you're a, uh, tell us what you do. You're, you're a filmmaker, right? Yeah. So I make films in, mostly in the outdoor space. Um, Full-time, I'm a firefighter, and that's what pays the bills. I'm a lieutenant with my department. That gives me the time off and the leeway to be able to go out and kind of chase my dreams. And I do a ton of bow hunting, and I fell in love with running the camera. So now I run the camera, and I'll run the camera for different hunting shows, do my own small documentaries, take photos and stuff. And, yeah, just kind of do whatever I can to be outdoors as much as I can and stay as busy as I can. 
a firefighter in Colorado? Are you a city guy with structures or out in the out in the woods fighting fires? Uh, we're the biggest fire department in the state. Uh, I don't want to exactly say which one because they get all kind of weird about stuff like that. But to give you an sure. idea, uh, yeah, so it's all structural. Uh, we have a wildland team that goes out. I don't sign up for the high-speed gardening. I like to be able to jump out of the building that's burning if something goes right. wrong. Um, jumping out of a forest is a little bit harder. So, so right. far, I haven't done the wildland stuff. I've done a couple wildland uh, like strike teams, which was cool, but I was still tied to an engine and uh, still had a little bit of an out. Right, right. Those guys are definitely... Uh, you, you almost have to be a thrill seeker to take that on as an occupation because it's definitely crazy stuff. I'm going to sign up for the team when my kids are older. Right now, right. my kids are a little bit younger. I leave enough for hunting as it is. When they're a little bit older and they don't care as much about me being around, I want to sign up for right. it. I'll go out and do it. But okay. right now, it's just not the cards. That's a good plan. And you're uh, you're actually – so this will air on Monday. We're recording on the Wednesday before this podcast goes live. And you're going to be – when this podcast drops, you will be in Alaska. Is that correct? I will be in Alaska. I'll be waiting for my moose season to start, but if everything goes right with weather, and I don't know if you've been up there or not and hunted it, but some days you fly in when you're supposed to, and other times you fly in five days later. So as long as the weather holds and everything's good, I will be on the river helping guys tag out on caribou while I'm waiting for my moose season to open up. Yeah, that's one of those things where you can get frustrated with the weather, but you got to very much respect the uh the pilots call on that deal. You don't, uh, not oh, a hundred percent, not a place to, uh, roll the dice and take a risk that those, if those pilots aren't comfortable with the risk, it's, it's, it's time to stand down and, uh, and kick back and play some cards or something at the airport for sure. A hundred percent. And I think I found the right pilots. Like these guys do a really good job of getting us out as soon as there's a window and then like trying to be safe. So like there's, there's not a lot of backups, but they don't push it too much. I had one guy I was filming a doll sheep hunt up there and we're on the ground and he's like, I think I can take off right here. I think everything's good, but we got to aim towards that mountain. He goes, I should hit this upstream and that's going to carry us over it. And I was just looking, I'm like, Hey dude, you're the expert. Like, let's just go. And so yeah, right. we're flying at a granite granite rock face dude and i'm just like i really hope you know what you're doing he's like it'll work and it worked it was great cool footage but not exactly like i didn't i haven't used that pilot again <laughs> right if that that's, makes uh, sense. that's a fairly chintzy deal right there that uh, but you know i mean if they've been doing it for a long time i think that's the group of guys that you just got to trust you know what i mean a hundred percent a hundred percent yeah even though they uh, seem like they're uh, kind of not, maybe maybe not so much different than uh, than wildland firefighters, they're a little bit uh, bad shit crazy um, and have to be to get the job done right. If if a guy doesn't have a little bit of thrill seeking in him, they're never going to take that occupation on. I don't think. I exactly exactly, and I like the guys that are on time as much as possible too. Um, I had a guy last year that was, everybody complained about this guy's attitude. Everybody complained that he's not personable. But that dude gave me a time, and he was five minutes early for the right. pickup and the drop-off, for and multiple pickups and drop-offs. I've never had a pilot tell me, hey, I'm going to be there at 10 a.m. They always say, I'm going to be there tomorrow. Be ready. 
at some point in time tomorrow. And this guy's giving me a time of like a set time, and he was five minutes early every single time. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm gonna go with this guy more. I don't care if he doesn't talk to me in the plane. I don't care if he's not the nicest guy on the land. He's gonna get me there on time. He's gonna get me out. So yeah, I don't think I'll, personality. I'll go with him again. I don't think personality is what I'm looking for in an Alaskan bush pilot either. I think I want a guy that does. I mean, I don't care if he just yells. I don't care if he just yells at me the whole time. If he does what he says he's gonna do and, and beats me out, you know, that doesn't bother me at all. That's exactly what I said. As long as who did you use in Alaska? I'll tell you afterwards. We're recording. <laughs> <laughs> he's by you though. He's by you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I uh, when I was on Kodiak, I used a guy named Willie, who uh, I I think I've told this story on this podcast before. Um, like Willie's legendary for coming up here to help out with the uh, the Iditarod, and like you'll be ice fishing on in like terrible weather up on the Deshka River up just this way. And, like, you'll see a little red super cub flying super low underneath the clouds, rolling by in, like, terrible weather. And you're like, that's fucking Willie, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if that's, like, my favorite pilot. I want somebody with kids that wants to see him again. But I also want them to fly and, like, get me in and out. So, like, I want a balance. Alaska, nice of you to join us. What uh, we've we've gotten through our uh, we've gotten through some discussions here with Lane. What uh, what do you got going on? What's what's the news topics we need to discuss this week? Because I didn't send any out, and Robbie's going to gripe at me when he hears this. But uh, what do you what's going on in the news in the hunting news world? Well, a couple things um, going on here. Animal rights extremist groups sue feds over missed deadline on the gray wolf decision. I thought we could start with that one. And then there's the California ban on marketing firearms for youth hunting. They're actually, uh, I think the NRA is suing about that. What's the what's the details on the uh, wolf thing? Is it for the for the uh, Rocky Mountain distinct population? Is there a decision to be made there? Yes, yeah, the Rocky Mountain one. Let's see. They give the background. So at the time, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service was to conduct an in-depth review and analysis of gray wolf populations and management and make a determination about future plans. When a group petitions um, the Fish and Wildlife Service to list a species, the Fish and Wildlife Service has 90 days to make a preliminary determination and 12 months to make a final determination. But the 12-month deadline was missed. Um, and then surprise, surprise. Fish and Wildlife didn't bring yeah. Fish and Wildlife didn't bring it back up. And then now um, the Humane Society and uh, the Center for Biological Diversity are suing the federal government. And they've asked a, um, a district judge in Montana to order federal officials to make a final decision. What, 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 what's the decision to be made? Like what, what are they just to do a, to come up with a what is the status of the wolf? Is that the, that the process? No, it's a, to make a determination about future management plans. So the Administrative Procedures Act rulemaking begins after the twelve-month finding from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. So what's the uh, what's the political hobbly gobbly here? Are they uh, is it, they're trying to get Fish and Wildlife to come up with numbers based on is there going to to base the decision on is there going to be any more hunting? Is that right? Yeah. They're, well, they're just trying to move it along down the line. 
but they're you know the the lawsuit is really the concerning part because they're that these groups are very litigious with the federal government over these wolves, so they're taking any opportunity to to sue the federal government over it, which is kind of flexible. Lane, what's your take on the uh, what's your take on the wolf? Uh, I'm actually a little passionate about it. We just got forced here in Colorado to have the wolves be introduced, or um, I, I'll say introduced instead of reintroduced because it is a different set of wolves. Um, so that's something that's going to hit us a little bit harder than it's hit the other states because all the other states like Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, they're allowed to use foothold traps. Colorado, back in the 90s, we banned that kind of traps. So you got to use a big live live trap not allowed to use the foothold well if you look at how all these other states specifically i know idaho and wyoming a majority of their wolves are killed using those foothold traps colorado not being able to do it as soon as that population takes off we are going to be hurting to try to keep up with them um i know the numbers are crazy in idaho but it's something like 20 to thirty thousand wolf tags are sold a year and they only they meet half of the population objective that they want to kill. It's just insane. So, and that's using the foothold traps. In Colorado, using the foot since we can't use them, it's going to really hit us hard. Um, that's part of a bill that I've helped with, and part of the Colorado Parks and Wildlife stuff that we're looking at now for big game tag allocations. Like we have to change our allocations now, planning for the wolves that are going to be here next year. Because as soon as they get here, that's going to have a, a huge impact in our herd. And if we don't do something about like our over-the-counter tags and our big game tag allocations now, once the wolves come in, it's just going to be a complete mess for our parks and wildlife. So I'm a little passionate about it. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm right there with you. Have you ever seen them in the wild? Have you ever seen wolves in the wild? I've seen them in Colorado. I've seen them up where I hunt. The first place uh, like where I cut my teeth elk hunting in a wilderness I saw him about five years ago, saw a game warden. I said, I just saw the world's biggest coyote, or I saw a wolf. He goes, oh, no, there's a wolf pack up here. said they're bouncing back and forth between Wyoming. We're not allowed to admit that they're here. Um, He goes, but, yeah, you definitely. He goes, I "I would bet that you saw the same wolves that I seen a couple days ago. So, and then two years ago up there, they ran right through the valley we were in. So, um, we already have them here. They're already affecting the elk hunting in that area. I won't go back to hunt there for the next five, six years until they make that area draw instead of over the counter or limit our over the counter, just because it's already had such a negative impact in that area. Yeah, it's such a. Uh, I feel like there's the people that listen to this podcast regularly have got to be getting tired of us discussing it. But as it grows and expands, if we don't have some common sense management behind it, it's definitely going to. Uh, but already is in some states um, and definitely going to affect our uh, our hunting here in Colorado over the next things are going to change I mean even if well, we, here's the thing well we're screwed in Colorado all these other states are somewhat red states or at least common sense states when it comes to wildlife management Colorado between Boulder Aspen and Denver we don't have the common sense when it comes to wildlife management anymore. And all it takes is one vote and we're going to lose the ability to manage these wolves at all. And then our wildlife is in a huge hurt. Like it's going to be, it's going to be disastrous. And by the time they figure it out, it's going to be too late and it's going to take 20 years for us to recover. And even if you, I mean, it, I, 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 I truly try to be an optimist about things. Like I have a lot of faith in this country in general. Um, and I think that while we do have, we will have speed bumps. Like I, I think that Idaho, Montana, and Wyoming are 
like you said, applying common sense and kind of keeping things balanced up there, getting things back to a balance um, since they got the wolf delisted. Um, But even if you look at the brightest of sides on this thing in Colorado, it's going to be some massive changes for a lot of people. It's going to be disastrous for a while. Yeah, yeah, and hopefully, hopefully, we have a reaction to it and uh, get things balanced back out. Well, if you just want to see how bad it is, go look at the comments on like Nine News Facebook page, Thirty One's Facebook page, when they post the stuff about those cattle ranchers up in Walden that have the wolves going in there and killing their cattle. There's no sympathy there. Everybody's like, "Oh, it sucks to be a rancher. You shouldn't be ranching where the wolves live. You shouldn't be living where they live." And it's these people don't understand that we are just by being in Colorado, we're living in their old habitat. And so, if they want to be part of the solution, maybe they should move somewhere else. But they think that this, since they live in the concrete walls inside the city, that it doesn't matter and it doesn't affect them, and that they're not doing anything negative to these animals. And really, they're the worst ones there is. Yeah, yeah. I really think that's always the like the the most problematic thinking on the subject, right? When people say something stupid, like, "Well, you know, you're living where they live," and it's like, "I'm sorry, did did like." When when the world like was made, did they did all these did all these cities just pop up with it? Are they naturally forming large buildings, and and they'll sit you know in a place that's got population density and like high rises and stuff like that, and then and then look down on people who were living uh, in buildings as well, just not as close together. And it's like if you really if you're living in a building and you're and you say something like you know and not a mud hut right, and you say something like. Um, well, you're living in their habitat, then like you're a hypocrite. There's just 100%. no way around it. Hundred percent. But getting that message across is going to be really hard. Yeah, almost futile. I mean, I I, I think we're probably going to have to go through a really shitty downswing here in Colorado in, in certain areas for sure. Um, and have people, you know, you they're almost got to create a panic. They're almost going to have to create a sense of and some of those you know we've had dave gittleson who is the gittleson Gittleson ranch was the first ranch to get hard um and dave's been on and dave is like the most the the gittleson family is like they're they love nature they love wildlife they even think the wolves are cool um but when you have a whole group that's not willing to meet in the middle and find some i'm not I'm not, uh, there's a part of me that I can, I'll say that there's a part of me that's excited about seeing wolves in Colorado. There, there it's is cool, a- dude. It's really cool when you see it, the hair stands up on the back of your neck and you're like, wow, I'm one of the first people in this state to see this, which is, yeah. it's so awesome. But at the same time, it's terrifying knowing what our wildlife management is going to have to go through to try to do some kind of management with those animals because they're not going to let it happen. And yeah. that's what's scary. Like, like you said, the big point being the, the, the real trend, the real ban on traditional trapping in Colorado is going to make that management. First of all, people are going to fight for there not being any lethal management whatsoever. They're 100%. They're already trying it. They are already trying it. If you tune in to our Colorado Parks and Wildlife meetings, there's one on the 8th and 9th. They get on every single time, and it's like, oh, no, we got to make sure that we use the fluffy unicorns and rainbows to manage these things instead of, like, life and reality. 
So right. it's it's already there. They're already trying to put a ban on it. They, there's talks about these groups trying to run a bill in Colorado, making it illegal to manage them, like similar to what we had last year, where they were trying to make it illegal to hunt mountain lions and bobcats and lynx. And they're like, oh, we got to throw the lynx in there just in case. We're never going to hunt lynx in Colorado in our lifetime. It's just not going to happen. Um, I'd love to see them. It's super cool. But yeah, that. You just have yeah. these bleeding hearts that just I, they they mean good, but they're just coming from a non common sense. They're not paying. They it's not reality. No, absolutely. So there's two hurdles there. The first one is even making sure that lethal management is allowed, um, and then secondly, when it is, we've already banned the only really effective way to manage to lethal traps. manage wolves yeah. in Colorado. So it's a it's a it's a pretty good doozer. Um, yep. And I'm sure for those of you that are sick of us talking about the wolf, we'll continue to do it because it's a thing that's affecting a lot of people's hunting and a lot of pe- lot of decisions being made, um, obviously, specifically across the mountain states. But uh, it, it's a big thing that's happening right now. Let's hit a uh, let's hit a couple texts before we uh, before we move on. We got a text from Aiden in Oregon. Um, Aiden gives a lot of background, um, three years into the hunting game, hunted for a couple years, just picked up a bow, um, gives a lot of, gives a lot of, uh, gives a lot of background on it. And then he asked this question, do you think archery hunters should be required to take a proficiency test? Bounce that around. So uh, this is actually already a thing to some degree in certain states. So uh, New Jersey, for instance, has a, um, it is technically a proficiency test. You do have to uh, fire six arrows and hit five out of six on target within, you know, within a 25 to 50, I think it's 25 or 50 yards in order to get your archery hunting license. So, you know, it's a thing in, in some states. Um, I, as a knee-jerk reaction, like I know where he's coming from, right? But um, I think we should be breaking down barriers to hunting, not putting them up, right? A hundred percent. And implementation of that has just got to be ridiculous. Like for me to come up and hunt Alaska, I hit that age bracket. I'm required to have a bow hunter education course. Um, God bless the guys putting that course on. It was, I mean, it's not going to deter me from taking a shot or anything like that. The class was all about blood tracking and then shot placement. It's all stuff you should know anyway. Um, I have a little card. I have a picture of it for when I come up there in a couple of days so that I can do it. But the implementation of actually having like that barrier, having that test is going to be so ridiculous. What am I supposed to do? Plan an, an extra couple days to come up to Alaska and expect a game warden to take time out of their day to give me a proficiency test? Um, or am I supposed to record it and then just fake it? Um, the, the implementation of it, I think, is just would be really, really hard when it comes down to it. We just got to hold each other accountable. And if I got a buddy that wants to come bow hunting with me, I have to be accountable with him and I have to be like, Hey, have you been practicing? Can you, what's your maximum distance? Okay. This is your max at maximum distance. Before we go hunt, we should go practice that. And let's make sure that that's what you're comfortable with. 
I'm, I'm not going to call them out or anything, but at the same time, be like, hey, you know, maybe you shouldn't be taking those shots. And then if somebody does take a hard shot, a shot that probably shouldn't have been taken, then call them out on it when you're hunting with them. And right. if you're hunting solo, it's completely different. You're going to come, that's going to come back on you. If you lose enough animals, you're going to either feel really, really, really bad. You're going to stop taking those shots or you're just a really bad person. And there's not much we can do about that anyway. Yeah. And I think that that's, uh, that's already like, so a lot of what you talked about is already like kind of what, the, what polices people on the subject. Right. So, you know, you have your buddies thing, right. Your hunting partner is going to give you shit for that nine times out of 10. But also, you know, if you're a crappy shot, especially with a bow, especially, you know, especially in a Western state with a bow, right. It's not the deer woods back East, right. Where like you're taking, you know, on average 20 yard shots, you're, you're shooting further um, uh, out West. So you're going to, the, the chance of you outright missing as opposed to wounding one if you're a crap shot is definitely higher. But also, um, a lot of the regulations that exist do address this, I, I believe, in a backward sort of way, which is how it should be regulated, which is, like, for instance, in Alaska, if I take a shot and I wound something, if I don't recover it, it still counts as, as, as filling my tag. Like, I can't go shoot another animal if I don't recover it. I think that's the way it should be. I completely agree. Yeah, I, I agree with you too. It's it's one of those things that in theory doesn't sound horrible, but in reality would just be a giant bureaucratic mess in my opinion. Um, so just echoing everything you guys said. We've got another text here from Anonymous in Maine who goes on to explain why they wish to remain anonymous. I know another thing that folks are probably tired of hearing us talk about um, is Sunday hunting, specifically Sunday hunting in Maine and the ban on that. Um, this anonymous is the one, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. He sent me a screenshot of an article from a 1984 Inland Fish and Wildlife article with the details of the origins of the ban on Sunday hunting in Maine. Um, if you missed this before, to me, this is one of the most interesting things to come out of this whole discussion but this article details out that the leaders in way back in the past, this is a 1984 article talking about things that happened over a hundred years ago, that they banned Sunday hunting because Sunday was the only day that the immigrants got off that were working in the sawmills and in the forestry. So they oh, banned shit. it. They banned it to keep them from hunting. In my mind, I don't know if I've ever read it, but I always created this Sunday hunting thing as a church back thing, right? Like, you owe me both. You owe me both. I never thought of that. Right, right. And that's that's exactly where it was in my mind. But this detail, this article, and the reason we're rebringing it up is he emailed me the article because on the air I kind of said, you know, that he just sent me screenshots of it, but he emailed me the actual PDF of the article, goes into detail. Um, that they didn't even hide the fact that they didn't want the immigrants and the folks working in the sawmills, you know, the, the, the blue collar workers only got Sunday off in the forestry jobs and the sawmills. Um, and so they outlawed hunting on Sundays to, to keep the deer for them. Puts a new, uh, puts a new spin on the whole thing a little bit to think about that's where it was rooted at. Even going back to, I've always thought it was kind of rooted in the church and stuff. Um, 
I'm the closest to God when I'm out in the wilderness. I mean, that's where I feel the most connected to him. And I, 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 everything that I see he created out there. So like, I don't get why you wouldn't want people out there. I totally get like, may it hurts your church attendance for a couple months, but, um, like I've always like going back to that thinking that's what it was. Now knowing this, that's even worse, man. You're keeping people yeah, away no, from just, hunting. It just makes the makes the story that much more that much more interesting. Went from a, I don't uh, see how that's still. I don't even see how that's still a thing. Like in Colorado, 15 years ago, we got rid of not selling alcohol on Sundays, right? Like why can't we? Why can't we go bow hunt on a Sunday? There's some really so that there's some really valid arguments. Have we released those two? We have two episodes discussing both sides of the main Sunday hunting issue, and uh, I think we did. Either it that's that's irrelevant to to this, but the the one aspect of Maine that will make you reconsider it is a, there's a several private landowner organizations who are against it. And here's their reasoning is in Maine, 100%, if it's not posted, it's free reign. The hunter has no obligation to look at Onyx and find out if they can go over there as long as it's not posted. Okay. I like it. Um, and a lot of these private landowner groups are saying, look, we let folks hunt on our land six days a week, no questions asked. We want one day off. We, we want one day where they can't. Now, my response to that is immediately make it be Tuesday then, because if you take away Sunday, you're taking away 50% of the working guy's hunting time. But, but uh, it, it's, there's, there's, there's more to it on both sides of it, and we have some pretty, we had a pretty good pair of podcasts. How about you just go post your land? If you don't want people hunting now, well, you just go post your land. You can post on it, no hunting on Sundays. It's a pretty simple turnaround. North Dakota has the same laws. My aunt and uncle go out, and the thing about North Dakota, it has to be posted within 365 days. So it has to be posted with a date, no trespassing, no hunting. Otherwise, you can go on it to hunt. Uh, maybe that's changed the past couple years, but I, dude, every every January first, we were out there and we were hiking and we were putting up new signs and we were dating new signs. So it's kind of the responsibility of you. If like that's the worst cop out in my opinion of well, we want to give it a break. Put a sign out that says no hunting on Sundays. How hard is it? It's your land. If you want to protect your land, there's something like I don't expect the state to come to come weed my couple acres that I have. I come and I do it myself. If I want to keep people off from it, how about I go post it? And I say, hey, why don't you stay off on Sundays, but you're welcome on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That's the worst cop-out I've ever heard. Yeah, you uh, you may have put it a little more bluntly and aggressively, but that was my exact reply to it as well. Yeah. Um, it's just, I'm just saying the landowner thing in Maine made me made me think about it more than – than when I thought it was just, you know, you should be in church on Sunday morning. That was, it, it, it made, it made me, it made me consider it more is all I'm really saying. Which you should still do, but. Right, right. But, you know, unless the elder bugling. Um, 100%. Um, so then we, we got another, we got another text from Brandon in Kentucky on the last, on the last roundup, maybe the last one or the two ago. Um, somebody sent us a text about, we got to get Robbie out archery hunting more. Ar oh, Robbie, yeah. admi Robbie admitted that he had a mishap. Um, no one got hurt. Um, but he did hit his trigger on a draw. 
um, and sent an arrow a couple houses down into the neighbor's yard. Um, and, uh, you know, he's got a little bit of gun shyness about shooting his bow since then. So Brandon from Kentucky sent in that he had a similar one. Um, so thanks for sharing that, Brandon. It's cool of you to step up. And, and uh, we, we all make mistakes. And thank God in neither one of these cases was somebody hurt. That was my biggest fear when I lived in town and I would shoot. I put up two sheets of plywood behind it, like double thickness, so that if I punched through, it was stopping that arrow, at least slowing it down to where someone wouldn't get hurt. I've always been lucky in where I lived, I guess. And I, I've, I'll have i admit that I've caught the trigger and I forced myself. I used to do very much kind of a uh, vertical and out draw. You know, as opposed to a, the bow is stationary in front of me in a straight back draw, I've, I've changed that too. So at least if the if my release does go off, my bow was aiming at the target. I think that's one step. Approach a majority of archery coaches too are going to tell you to do it that way anyway. Like that's going to be the best right. thing. When you do that big arc, it like pushes your shoulder up and there's all kinds of stuff for, to get into on that. So, Right. I think a whole bunch of folks try to get to – when they first start out, they try to get to the poundage that they want to be at too early, and it and it forces it forces some bad technique on the draw. But uh, yeah, or anyway. they're just idiots like me, and they order an eighty pound bow this year, and then it gets here, and they're like, "Oh shit, I have an eighty pound bow!" Right, right. Time to, uh, <laughs> it's a little bit harder to pull straight back. Time to hit the gym. But thanks, Brandon, for a pretty cool thing to text in and, and admit that you made a mistake you know and we all do it but thanks for sharing with us i do it at least once a year i just have to worry about my neighbor's horses now instead of a neighborhood kid right right what's your uh tell us about california marketing firearms for youth hunting alaska so there's a uh there's a lawsuit in california right now uh, it's backed by the nra a couple other large hunting groups challenging the California ban on marketing firearms uh, for youth hunting and shooting sports programs. So um, anybody who's been following the news, well, anybody who knows anything about anything in the last 10 years knows that like California's taken a huge liberal bent um, along with a couple other states. And that is unfortunately seeped out into very, very strong anti-hunting and anti-gun sentiments. So on June 30th, Governor Gavin Newsom signed Assembly Bill 2571. So this is a law banning any firearm industry member from marketing firearms to minors. So it's a very broad, like, no marketing to minors thing. And look, well, we'll get to that in a second, but it's totally understandable why they would try to do that, or at least what they were trying to address if I think it was poorly executed. And then the so-called urgency measures, broad language, bans the use of firearms and firearm accessories in all advertisements, magazine flyers, uh, articles, social media promotions. And so this is everything from articles to advertisements to flyers, social media, and any, any other communication promoting youth shooting sports camps, hunting clinics, any, any firearm-related activities. It's a, it's a fine of up to $25,000 per impression occurrence or publication which is extremely steep as a marketing professional i'll talk about that in a moment here so on august 5th the nra and a coalition filed a lawsuit against the state of california for de declaratory and injunctive relief citing violations of californians constitutional rights under the first second fifth and fourteenth amendments um a couple of those groups 
you know, which I think deserves some praise, are SoCal Top Guns Incorporated, Safari Club International, the U.S. Sportsman's Alliance Foundation, the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation, all those usual suspects on all these lawsuits. Um, big shout out to those guys. And then it was a 51-page complaint filed in the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of California. And it's against Rob Bonnet in his, in his official capacity as California Attorney General. So a lot to unpack there. But the, but the brass tacks are, it's very broad. Um, it bans any marketing, quote-unquote, marketing of firearms to youth. So um, not only is it hunting, but it's anything gun-related to youth, right? Which, like, I think that what they're trying to address, right, and at least this comes from an intellectually honest point of view, is the fact that advertising does fundamentally drive how a lot of people think in this country, right? And they're trying to address the fact, so I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and just say that this is another sinister anti-gun plot, right? But even given that, right, the execution is poor, in my opinion, because it's way overly broad. So there's a lot of very positive pro-gun things that you can market to youth, right? like shooting sports clinics, firearm safety courses, hunting, you know, all things that we want more people to be doing, right? R3 is a thing in every state, including California. Um, but also just in the way that they're, they wrote the ban. So it bans the use of firearms and firearm accessories in all advertisements, magazine articles, flyers, social media promotions, and other communications promoting youth shooting sports camps, hunting clinics, and other firearm-related activities. So it just says social media promotions. It doesn't say paid ads, right? So like anybody posting on Facebook who's, you know, a member of the firearm industry, right? If you're the, you know, if you are the, for instance, the counter kid at the local, like the 18-year-old that just got a job at the local firearms shop, um, and you're posting videos on your TikTok about how cool you think your new gun is, right? That could be considered a violation of this law, right? For which you could be fined $25,000 per impression, which is really the 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 per per impression occurrence or publication. I think that's the real rub, right? So even the even the lamest, most unfollowable, unlikable internet personality, right, is going to get more than one impression on any on any given thing, right? My lamest, stupidest Facebook post gets more impressions than one, right? So you're talking about like, you're, you're talking if four people, an impression is, is, first of all, you have nothing to do with an impression, right? That's just algorithm, you know, puts it into people's newsfeed because that's what they want to, um, want want to see right but so you could post something you know in that vein right and it could be seen by let's see let's see let's say four people it showed up on their screen for a total of three seconds as they were scrolling through facebook mindlessly not even reading it right you could be charged a hundred thousand dollars in fines <laughs> well, that. well not only not only that if i post something here in colorado and they're like, well, people in Colorado viewed it. 
Um, that's the big thing with social media is it's there's it doesn't have a state by state border. Right. So are they right? just going to start so, opening up cases? Are they just going to start coming after Christensen Arms for posting something in Montana and being like, "Well, you posted it, but everybody can see it now. People in California see it, so you broke our law." Well, and how do like, you? Well, suss we had nothing to do with that. And how do you suss that out via state? You know, you can't, to my knowledge, break exactly. down questions by state. No. There's yeah. just a lot of problems with that altogether. Yeah. It's just Am I reading the wording wrong, Alaska, that you can run the ad, you just can't have a gun in it? Um, so the social, the so-called urgency measures broad language, bans the use of firearms and firearm accessories in all advertisements, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, yeah, you're not supposed to have a gun in it. Although, if you are a gun manufacturer and you are trying to sell your guns right or if you're talking about a youth shooting sports camp or you're trying to get people to join your youth shooting team right um or you're trying to you know put on a firearm safety clinic and stuff right the use of a gun in the advertisement is kind of kind of necessary to the to the activity no yeah i agree 100 percent. but to me it's more of the stupidity of it that i could build out an ad to promote the the sales of AR-15 to youth, I just can't put a gun in the ad, right? Like to me, that it makes it even stupider. But it, it's not about advertising guns to youth; it's about using a gun in an ad. Right. Youth. That, yeah. That to me is even more ludicrous. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not an attorney, so if any of our listeners are, feel free to text in with an opinion on this subject. We won't hold you to it. We'll, we'll keep you anonymous. But yeah, it's really one of those like this. This was an egregious um, decision, and good on these groups for um, putting out, staking out yet another court case. So I was involved in one of these kind of state level court cases that um, uh, against um, the governor of New Jersey when he when he banned bear hunting. Um, that whole saga, um, and I can tell you that. Um, that these court cases are extremely expensive. Okay. Which, which is why I want to say two things. Number one, you, you should, if you're a, if you're, if you're a hunter and you think that this kind of stuff is crap, then you should give five bucks to one of these groups ASAP, right? Cause they will appreciate it and it will go directly to these legal defense funds, which can very easily become hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees per, per case. Right. And there's at any given time, half a dozen of these things, brewing across the country um that's number one and number two it is a lot cheaper you see i'm a political industry professional i can tell you that it's a lot cheaper to fund uh, a political campaign no matter how expensive it gets right your a 10 million dollar political campaign is still cheaper than these nickel and diming one-off like um uh, court cases and this is the only way you're going to stop it so a vote is worth a hundred dollars to one of these organizations um you know maybe even a thousand dollars to one of these organizations if you're voting against the people and the ideas that that are pushing this anti-hunting stuff i love how on the nra's uh nra's ila page um it provides a link to California's R3 youth recruitment documentation for hunting and shooting sports that this, the government of California is 
technically on that page, they're not a gun, but the government of California just outlawed a thing that another division of the government of California is actively doing. Um, it's uh, the irony there is pretty thick. Yeah, exactly. Hey, I got I got I got to ask you this, Lane, because I'm doing the exact same thing. We're both bow hunters. We're both residents of uh, Colorado, and we're both getting on airplanes to be somewhere else during the elk bugle this year. What What are we thinking? Uh, I'm thinking that over-the-counter elk hunting in Colorado has gone to hell in the past six, seven years. I think yeah. that we're getting overcrowded from non-residents. I think we're getting overcrowded from everything else. I think that we're getting uh, – there's a lot of other outdoor recreation that's having an, a, a negative effect on our elk herds. And uh, I think that we need to do something about it. Um, and I would rather go somewhere like Alaska where I'm not going to run into somebody else instead of hunting an over-the-counter unit here in Colorado where – Six miles in, I have I can count twenty other tents, including a couple with a two-month-old baby two years ago from Idaho. That's just like just all these people coming out here to hunt because we're the last resort that there is. We are other than Oregon, and nobody goes to Oregon to hunt elk on the eastern side. We are the only state with unlimited over-the-counter elk tags. And if you look at the numbers, which if you want to look at the numbers, you got to pay for a CORA request every year because Colorado Parks and Wildlife won't put it out because they're so embarrassed by it. Our non-resident over-the-counter tags are sold to more non-residents than residents every single year, and it keeps going up to last year. I believe it was 60% of the over-the-counter elk tags were sold to non-residents. So, What's yeah, I'm going okay. to Alaska. I ain't gonna, I ain't putting up with it here. Hey, whoa, whoa, well, I'm going to cut this section because um, my fellow Alaskans would get mad that I'm letting you talk about bringing other people up to Alaska. Here, I'll, I'll throw out this. Next year, I'm going to be in Montana. I'm going to be in Idaho, and I'm going to be in Wyoming. I'm not going to be in Colorado unless I draw a limited elk tag. So I just have to be in Alaska every year because it's so pretty. I don't even care about shooting anything, dude. I just love it up there. Amen, so, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's what it is. That's part of why I two years ago I helped run Senate Bill, uh, the Senate Bill that caused such a fuss, a fuss with Colorado Parks and Wildlife. They promised to make changes, and now they have this commission that it's meeting. And we had that's why we've had all these surveys go out, and that's why they're meeting every other month and talking about it. But um, change is hard, so. I would suggest if anybody's listening to tune in on September 8th and 9th to the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission meeting that's going to be going on because they're going to talk about this a little bit, but a decision is not going to be made till at least November at the earliest. That's the meeting to really tune into and really get in and put your – because, dude, I'll bring non-resident guys out here that say I'm not coming back until this changes. This elk hunting's horrible. I was just in Montana last year and it was great. Why would I come to Colorado when it's so bad? What's the what's the balance though? First of all, I agree with everything that you just said. I'm going to offer a I'm I'm gonna poke at it for the sake of discussion. Oh yeah, let's go. Because there's a huge amount our wildlife and parks has a really nice budget because of those elk tags. Oh, our our parks and wildlife budget has gone up almost forty percent in the past three years since they changed the way that they're doing the draw, and we can increase it even more if we actually start charging for points and just start instead of charging the fee that it costs to apply. I just paid one hundred and fifty dollars for points in Montana. I had to buy the combination elk, and I had to buy the elk point. That's one hundred and fifty dollars, and we're giving it to everybody else for seven bucks or fourteen dollars. 
How come we're not capitalizing on that? And then when we capitalize on that, let's limit our over-the-counter non-resident elk tags like every other state has done. Nebraska just limited their over-the-counter whitetail tags because they're getting so many non-residents coming in there. It's happening. It's happening everywhere else, man. It's got to happen here and we're behind the curve and it's having a negative effect on not only our elk hunting, but on our elk herds as well. Yeah, I like Alaska's system. Actually, every day that I um, am more steeped in Alaska's kind of system, I think the fishing game department here does a great job. Um, they so they don't do the point system, which I do think is somewhat of a racket, right? The only way for it to truly be fair is for it to truly be, you know, a cut over the long term, especially with human population growth, right? Um, and the growth of the popularity of hunting. Um, so the only way for it to truly be fair is for it to truly be random, right? So like you put in for a hat and it's, you know, every person gets one chance and then you um, uh, and then you allocate tags, you know, accordingly, right? maybe a little bit of waiting here and there towards, you know, towards residents of the state because I do believe they should get first crack at their, at their wildlife. Right. A hundred percent should. But also the, to, to your point, the, I've, I thought it was great. The, the OTC, like the, what, what we call general registration tags. Um, a lot of those are resident only. Um, and you have to draw even for, um, uh, and you have to draw for, um, for those, um, if you're if you're an out-of-state resident especially in key units right so a unit where like either it's a super like a big trophy unit or one that um that's struggling from management um standpoint um and um i also think that there's an interesting thing that's not really used by other states here um i don't know how familiar you guys are but um if you guys marry one of my sisters you can go brown hunt brown bear hunting with me right but that like that, I'm uh, in. <laughs> yeah, I got, I, got, I got one left to marry off. I got her. Uh, I'll give her your. I'll give her. My your. wife would not go for it, but I'm in. Let's go. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But um, the uh, me too. The the immediate family thing, you know, where you know it it carves out an exception, but um, but you have to um, you have to either hire a licensed guide within a state for certain tags. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I love that Alaska does that. I think it's way cool. I'm just trying to convince one of my relatives to move up there until I can. Absolutely. They got, they, 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 they've done a great job, obviously given a a set of resources up there that are just, you know, uncomparable in any other state, but, uh, but uh, definitely a bucket list thing of mine to go up there and multiple times. I got multiple things that I want to do in Alaska considering moose next year. Do it. Do it. It's awesome, dude. I mean, you'll go 10 days without seeing a moose, but it's so awesome. Yeah, I don't When you actually that. see it, dude, it's cool, man. It's so, that's, why I'm, that's why I'm up there every year chasing them. It's just so awesome. Tell us, uh, Lane, tell us where we can see some of your film work. People can go check it out, folks that are listening. I got stuff on Carbon TV. I really like Carbon TV's platform just because they really um, – they have standards, but then they push the hunting and the fishing stuff. And they don't really censor it the way YouTube does. I still put it up on YouTube um, under Lane Walter Productions. Uh, Carbon TV is Lane Walter Productions as well. And then just my Instagram, which is R2Lane. Um, 
I try not to push too much of it out on any of that stuff. But when I get around to it, I try to enter a lot of my stuff into film festivals, get it out that way, and then uh, give a lot of photos to different companies that I work with and stuff. Um, and then whenever I roll around to it, I'm really bad about posting, but I'll post it up on Carbon first. Cool. With Colorado, I'm going to be in Alaska. I can't talk about it, but if people get on, they can send in public comment. They can just write in public comment for that Colorado Parks and Wildlife meeting that's going to happen on the 8th and 9th of September. And then there's also going to be one in November that's going to be huge. And if we get a lot of hunters to write in, and I'm talking about resident hunters and non-resident hunters, to be like, hey, something needs to change. Because right now, I just saw yesterday the recommendation about Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and the recommendation is to, as of right now, status quo. On every single option that it was, it was status quo, almost every single option. They don't want to change anything right now. They want to wait till this. They want to wait till that. They want to do this. They want to do more studies. If we don't get it changed with Colorado Parks and Wildlife, the senators are going to run that bill again, and they're going to jam it down their throats. And that's not the way that this needs to happen. I want to see wildlife management stay within the, the Parks and Wildlife Division. I don't want it to be done through legislation. 100%. The legislature and the courts have to be an absolute last resort on things and hopefully never need to be used. Yeah, um, well, I, I'll, I'll say for wholeheartedly, I was one of the main guys that started SB 51. Um, I didn't know how where else to go. and But then we started having meetings with Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and they said, we're going to fix it. Well, it's been two years and it's not fixed. Well, I should say two years. It's been a year and a half and nothing has changed yet. And now they're saying that the recommendation is status quo. So maybe it's going to get there. I hope it doesn't get there. I really want to see a change before that, though. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And I think something needs to be done. It's probably an ever-evolving thing. You know, I don't feel like there's a – I feel like everyone that says, like, this is the way we should do it, um, in in five years there'll be a better option or a reason to morph. Like, 100%. It, it needs to be an ever-evolving thing probably – um, and a lot of folks don't understand that, but, uh, we'll they're see. talking about research from 2005 and 2006. It's like, are you kidding me? You know how much Colorado has changed since 2005? First of all, 2005, I'm pretty sure that's when I graduated high school or the year before. So like, I know a lot has changed since then. Like my elk hunting has changed substantially since then. I could hike in one mile and not see anybody for five days. And now I hike in 10 miles and I'm seeing 10 other guys. So, and a baby. <laughs> right. So. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it works out. A lot happening here in Colorado and, and around the country. You got any closing thoughts, Alaska? Nothing from my end. Um, I'm, uh, I'm still riding high off my IGFA Super Grand Slam, which I had to say on the air at least once. Right. Boom, boom. <laughs> from last week, so. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Cody, you got to come up here and with me man i know i'm going to i'm going to i'm heading we'll do it we'll do a cast and blast trip man like i got this all planned out dude. Do it, dude. we'll do like a float trip down one of the big rivers here with guns and rods and everything i'm in i'm in next year i'm headed that direction if you got any thoughts or anybody out there listening who's got anything you want us to talk about or thoughts on anything we've said give us a shout you can shoot us a text at 620-860-4804 or email us at uh, info at bloodorigins.com. Lane, thanks a bunch for being our guest today. And uh, Alaska, thanks for stepping in and helping me out with Robbie off gallivanting around Europe. So that's where he's at, huh?
He's on a plane to Spain right now. Oh gosh! Is it? Wait, is he? Uh, is he doing the hunt with? Uh, with the? No. With the okay. Nothing. He's in Spain for like. He's in Spain for like four days filming and had not did not have the sense with the multiple outfitters we have relationships over there to plan a hunt of any kind while he's there. I think he's ridiculous. Then there's no excuse. All right, y'all. Thanks for joining us. Catch you later. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. You'd think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app.